Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Hi everyone, my name's Rich. I'm one of the pastors here at Revelation Church. I hope you've all had a great time in your various hubs this morning. If you found your way to YouTube, you're so welcome. Um, And I just pray that as we open God's word together, that you will be blessed and encouraged by it. Um, I'm so encouraged by the feedback that I'm hearing from across the hubs um, of people engaging, contributing, encouraging one another. Um, It's such an exciting time, such an exciting adventure that God has called us on and is leading us into together. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into our passage today. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear all that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. And today uh, we're starting a new series throughout Lent called Life in the Wilderness, tracking the people of God as they uh, leave slavery in Egypt through to when they enter the promised land. Um, And today uh, we're going to be looking at this theme of listening. We'll have a theme for each week um, that comes after the sermon series. So the theme for this week will be listening. Um, And we're going to dive in our Bibles to Exodus 3, uh, chapter 3 and 4. And a very famous passage, Moses and the burning bush. I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. um, And then what we're going to do is we're going to dip in and out as we unpack Moses' response um, in the following verses. But just before we do that, uh, let's just pick up a little bit of context about our passage. If you've been tracking with the Bible reading plan, you will have read the first two chapters of Exodus. But just to recap, God's people, the Israelites, are enslaved to the Egyptians, ruled by Pharaoh. The Egyptians were hard taskmasters and the Israelites had grown in number quite significantly whilst in captivity in Egypt. And so Pharaoh, threatened by this, decrees a mass execution of all Hebrew male babies being born. The midwives tending those births basically went against Pharaoh's orders and let the baby boys live. Moses is one of those boys. And his story is actually quite unique. As an Israelite, as a Hebrew, he's part of God's people. But as he grows as a baby, his mother can no longer hide him at home. And so she decides that she's going to hide him in a basket on the river. That way, Moses might escape this brutal persecution. The basket then is picked up by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter has pity on Moses and takes him in to look after him as her own. So Moses, an Israelite, grows up in the palace. This baby taken out of persecution and placed in the security and comfort of the palace. He becomes Pharaoh's daughter's son. He becomes the grandson of Pharaoh. Moses grows up in the palace, presumably shielded from the brutality of the Egyptian oppression. And then when he sees how badly the Hebrews, his own people, are treated by the Egyptians, we're told that he steps in and he kills an Egyptian for mistreating a Hebrew. The next day, he sees two Hebrews fighting and tries to step in and help them make peace. But one of them basically accuses Moses of murdering the Egyptian and then mocks him, saying, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Moses is shocked. He's devastated. He's terrified. He's terrified that he'll be found out and that Pharaoh will try to kill him. So he flees. He runs away to Midian. He finds work for Jethro, a priest of Midian. And Moses marries one of Jethro's daughters and lives and settles there. And for 40 years, he tends the flocks. And then we pick up in chapter three. So we'll start reading from verse one. 
in chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called him, called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. It's been 40 years since Moses has sat in the palace, 40 years since he enjoyed the richness of royal life in Egypt. For 40 years, he's been tending Jethro's flock. And then suddenly, God appears in a burning bush. If I were Moses, I'd be all too aware of just how far I'd fallen. I'd have had everything in the palace and then lost it all. I imagine that whilst growing up in the palace, he probably even had a slight crisis of identity. Adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, part of the ruling family that was oppressing his own people, the Hebrews. That must have been quite confusing, especially when he's then mocked and confronted by his own people for trying to help them. In Midian, he had probably been playing these events over and over and over in his head. Resided perhaps to being an outcast, never to return to the palace, never to return home. He must have been in a really bad and vulnerable place emotionally and spiritually. What desperate situation he has found himself in. And yet he's a Hebrew. He's one of God's chosen people. The Israelites, as God's chosen people, lived with an incredible sense of purpose and destiny. And now Moses, having hit rock bottom, all those hopes squashed and all those dreams of a promised land that God mentions in those first 10 verses shattered. And it's in this state of 40 years of dejection that God appears to him in the bush when he's probably at his lowest, his weakest his energy having been sapped from him. It's here that God begins to speak to Moses. It's here that God begins to call out his, his destiny, his purpose. God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I have come down to deliver my people out of the hand of the Egyptians. And he says, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses is probably a bit bewildered by this. His response is, me? You, you want me to do it? And when we see Moses uh, respond to this mammoth task that God lays on him, it's actually not with faith and with hope. 
he responds with questions and excuses as to why he can't, as to why God's got this wrong. And we're going to look at Moses' five responses to this call from God. And finally, look at how we listen to God with a heart of faith and hope for the destiny that he has placed in each of us. But before we look at Moses' response, I just want to say, we can often look objectively and say, come on, Moses, where's your faith? What are you doing? This is a burning bush. It's not being consumed and God's speaking to you. But you see, we mustn't forget the circumstances Moses is in. And all too often we can see other people's limitations. We can see their faults and their issues so much more clearly than we can our own. And so as we look at these responses by Moses, I want us to ask ourselves, which of these excuses may we be most prone to? Which excuse might we be tempted to use as God speaks to us? See, Moses is definitely not alone in responding to God in these ways. And God spoke powerfully to Moses, a high calling. But in that moment, Moses only saw his physical limitations. And so the first uh, excuse or objection that Moses has he says, I'm not adequate. In verse 11, Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? We presume Moses hasn't seen Pharaoh in 40 years. Any sense of proximity or familial relationship, that's long gone. Moses has no standing before Pharaoh. Why would he listen to him? Last we heard, Mo Pharaoh was out to kill Moses. He's just a humble shepherd now. But God reassures him, I will be with you. You might not have the relationship you once had with Pharaoh, but God says you don't need that. You need me. Israel's deliverance from Egypt didn't depend on whether Moses was up to the task or on good terms with Pharaoh. It depended on the presence, the power and sufficiency of God. See, if God calls you. It's often the inadequacies that he uses. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 9, Paul uh, writes, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's God speaking to Paul. <laughs> Paul writes it in Corinthians, but he speaks it of God speaking to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, this is what God does with Moses. And this is what God does with us. He brings us to the end of ourselves so that we might boast. So we might, no one might boast in their own abilities or strengths before God. And that's not to say that God doesn't use our talents and strengths. But we must come to a point of recognising that even they are a gift from God and don't come from within ourselves. The second objection that Moses has is, I don't have the answers. In verse 13, Moses responds, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses is concerned that he doesn't know what to say. He hasn't got the answers or reasoning as to why he should go, as to why he should be there. But God does. God tells him, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Then God follows it up with a promise of deliverance and he will save them from the affliction of Israel and carry them into 
the promised land. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 16, Peter says, In your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Peter here is encouraging us, just as God did to Moses, to always remember the why. What is the motivation behind our obedience to God? Are we always prepared to give a defence, to give a reason, to give justification of why God has called us into certain things and why we do what we do? And do we take those moments when people ask? The third objection from Moses is that I won't be taken seriously. In chapter four, verse one, Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Moses basically says, I'm not credible. I've been absent for 40 years. Why would they listen to me and take me seriously? I ran away. I deserted them. I deserted my own people. Again, God is so kind and gracious to Moses and he gives him signs. When Moses throws a staff on the ground, it turns into a serpent. When he picks it up by the tail, then it turns back into a staff. Secondly, Moses takes his hand, puts it inside his cloak, pulls his hand out and it's all leprous. He places his hand back inside his cloak, pulls it out and it's completely restored. You see, God doesn't send him empty handed. Moses goes with powerful signs of confirmation that this message is from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I want to encourage you today. If you feel prompted by God to step out and pray for someone, go for it. I'd love for us as a church to be stepping more into the miraculous in healings and provision. I know it's hard with Corona and social distancing and all of that. But when opportunities arise, pray. Let those people know that you're praying for them. Here's the incredible thing. Even our words, as the passage in 1 Corinthians tells us, are powerful. A friend of ours, um, not a believer, he asked us to pray for his mum. She uh, she contracted COVID. She was really sick in hospital um, and the outlook was really quite bleak. Um, and um, he asked us to pray. Um, and we asked at a few meetings for other believers just to stand with us and pray for the family. And within the week, his mum basically made a miraculous turnaround. She transformed from being really weak and frail and nearly dying um, to planning to go home to make a full recovery um, at home. And so whether it's in signs and wonders like Moses, whether it's with our words like Paul, let's let our faith rest in the power of God. Moses' fourth response, I'm no good with words. Even after all that, Moses still finds fault with God's plan to use him. In chapter four and verse 10, he says, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. I'm no good at public speaking. I'm no good with words. It's not me. But God is unrelenting. God doesn't shift focus or change his mind and replies to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Whew, what a response. Therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. 
God says to Moses, I will give you the words to speak. I'll put them in your mouth. The Apostle Paul, another example, he was a scholar. But he didn't necessarily use long, complicated thoughts and ideas to speak about the gospel. He didn't try and wow people with his fancy words. His message was simple. It wasn't about how articulate he was, just like Moses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, um, Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Moses' message to Pharaoh, in essence, was simple. God would use Moses to say, let my people go. Perhaps you, maybe you shy away from sharing your faith with friends or work colleagues because you don't know what to say. Because you don't feel that you can communicate your faith in a way that engages and helps them. Uh, I had a moment similar to this about a year ago. And, uh, and I decided that with just one friend um, who I was building quite a relationship with, that I wouldn't dance around the topic of faith. In the end, I decided to just speak to him as if he were a believer. Now, obviously, you have to be sensitive. And um, it was interesting. What I found was I could really articulate myself, be really direct and clear to the point without trying to talk around houses for fear that I might offend him. And to be honest, we had some awkward moments and blank stares um, as he tried to wrap his head around some of the things, some of the words, even the language I was using. But actually, over the last year, he's become a very close friend. And we've had brilliant conversations about faith, about family and trying to make sense of the world around us. Moses' fifth response, I'm not willing. Finally, Moses in verse 13 says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. It all sounds too much. Send someone else to go. I'm not willing. I don't want to do it. And I've got it at this point. Bearing in mind, this is Moses' fifth response. God starts to get annoyed. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and God provides Aaron, Moses' brother, to go with him. Someone who can speak well, act as a spokesperson, someone close to Moses. God won't let get Moses get out of it, but he will supply those that he needs. He will supply Aaron. He will supply people to stand with him, go with him. And I'm just struck by the grace of God as Moses listens to his own limitations of his own understanding rather than listening to God and how God persists. So easy to block out God's voice with our own priorities and interests. And in this passage, we're not sure if it's fear um, or just laziness. He just doesn't want to. Moses doesn't want to obey God. Maybe this is the real heart of the issue. And everything else was building to this moment when God would lay it out for Moses. Will you listen and obey me or not? Maybe there's a call on your life. You've put to one side and God is just prodding at your heart fresh. Maybe the timing wasn't right before, but now it's coming back into focus. Maybe now is the time to be listening to what God might be saying. God is looking for our willingness and obedience to follow him. Are you available to God's plan for your life? Do you hold things lightly enough to put them down when he speaks? Maybe a better question is when was the last time your plan was inconvenienced because God laid something on your heart. It might not be leading a nation out of oppression like Moses did, but are you ready for when he speaks and leads you in a certain direction? Do you have godly brothers and sisters 
who can help shape your faith, who can journey with you, who can counsel you, who can speak into your life. It's interesting, isn't it? Did you notice something about all of Moses' complaints or excuses? They were all centred on himself. He was the limiting factor in each of his responses. He couldn't get over his limitations to act on God's behalf. They all started with him, but God turns that on its head and affirms the call of Moses, affirms the call on Moses' life. Moses says, I'm not adequate. God says, I promise I will be with you. Moses says, I don't have the answers. God gives him the answers and reasoning. Moses says, I won't be taken seriously. God gives him signs. Moses says, I'm no good with words, but God promises to teach him how and what to speak. Moses says, I'm not willing. Send somebody else. God provides Aaron to go with Moses. God's response to each of Moses' objections is to lovingly and graciously correct Moses' perspective. God says to Moses, it's not about you. It's about my plan to deliver my people out of affliction and oppression in Egypt. As human beings, God replaces our inadequacy with his perfection. He fills us with purpose and power to be his witnesses in the world. Will you listen to his voice? Will we draw near and open our hearts in faith and obedience to him? Maybe you're not a believer and you're watching this. Maybe you just joined a Sunday hub or found your way to YouTube. I would say to you that the first step must be for you to come to know Jesus, to put your trust in him, to acknowledge your own limitations and inadequacies. The Bible talks about how we have all turned away and don't listen to God. This ignoring of him is called sin. The Bible tells us that we're completely inadequate to tackle that rift of sin between us and God. That is why Jesus came into the world, listened to the Father and obeyed perfectly every step of the way to the cross. At the cross, Jesus made a way for us to turn back and listen to the voice of God, to listen to the call of God and respond in our hearts. To turn away from trying to do things in our own strength and receive Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of that sin. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then this coming week, let's take the opportunity to listen to him. Remind ourselves of the promises of God. Remind ourselves of our purpose in God, individually and corporately, and bring every other aspect of our lives in line under submission to God's plan and purpose for our lives. You see, God doesn't always speak audibly through a burning bush as he did to Moses. Through his spirit living in us, he often speaks through scripture, through dreams, through other believers, through thoughts and ideas dropped into our minds. Let's learn to recognise and discern and listen to the voice of God. It may be that you're in a bit of a wilderness season. You might feel a bit like you're looking after Jethro's sheep, not quite fulfilling God's call. Or it might be that you're riding a wave of God's grace and you just feel that you're walking um, in what God created you for. And whether it takes 40 years or whether it's today, let's be listening for that moment when God speaks, when God directs, when God leads us. Finally, I would imagine many of us are comfortable with the idea of specific individual calling. But I just feel prompted to challenge us this morning um, to tackle that individualism. And ask, what is God saying about your role in the church? How are you to be a blessing to brothers and sisters? 
If required, will you lay aside your plans and your agenda for the sake of the body of Christ? Will you listen to God and obey him? Or will you, like Moses, come up with a list of reasons and excuses why he's got it wrong? Just an FYI, God doesn't get it wrong. So this week in running partners, which are smaller groups of believers, three or fours um, across the church, um, why not begin opening up this conversation? Why not ask one another, what do you think God might be saying to you? Or what do you think God might be saying for others? This week, why not open up those conversations and begin to journey with one another as we listen to God's voice, as we listen to his leading, as we listen to his prompting, that the promises and the purposes of God might be fulfilled in North London. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand back to the hub leaders. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for how you speak to us. Lord, we just pray for ears to hear all that you would say. Lord, we bless your name. Lord, we ask that you would continue to speak to us, continue to lead us. Lord, thank you for your promise to be faithful, to lead us and guide us right through to the end of the age. And so, Jesus, we just pray, Lord, give us humility to, di to discern your voice and to obey, Lord, all that you call us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen.